This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair number 196, June the 6th, 1989. This evening, Otto Scott and I are going to discuss our recent trip about 10 days ago to Juarez, Mexico. Juarez is across the Rio Grande from El Paso. El Paso and Juarez have an elevation of 4,000 feet, but we were at a point in Juarez that is 4,500 feet. El Paso, to give you a little more background, is uh, a city with a population of half a million, whereas Juarez has a million and a half. We were there in Juarez to visit a church and a Christian reconstruction work being carried on by Pastor Josue Lopez Luna. The speakers were myself and Dennis Peacock, and because Dennis had to leave uh, before the evening service, uh, Colonel Donor took his place. Uh, Pastor Lopez also spoke. Now, the significance of this work is that it is a, an amazing work of reconstruction. Pastor Lopez is a remarkable man who has a vision for the conquest of Juarez and of Mexico for Christ and of the whole world. And he has taken very, very important steps in that direction. I'm going to ask Otto to give a description of what he saw there, because he was able to take notes freely, whereas I was tied up a good deal of the time speaking. Otto, would you like to give a general picture, and then we can go into some of the specific areas. Well, if you come upon that establishment, and I called it a mission, I know that's the word that's generally used by the Catholics, but in every sense of the word I would say this was a Protestant mission, and Josue uh, moved me very deeply when he described his own background. Yes. As he started uh, from a very humble position. He was converted when he was about 17. He grew up 600 miles south of Juarez. And from the, in his late teens, became involved in Catholic action. And then joined the Free Methodist at Nogales in Arizona, which is in Mexico, and graduated from a Bible school. Later, he left the Methodists and started a movement of his own, became a Baptist for seven years, then had family problems and moved north. Some youngsters introduced him to the Salvation Army in Juarez, and he preached for the Salvation Army for a couple of years and apparently was doing this when he was taken to a particular neighborhood on the outskirts of town where he's working now. 
and it was an informal dump with all the tin cans, debris, and so forth, very hilly, unpaved roads, very humble, uh, looked like uh, self-made adobe structures, single, single story. Not too far away, I understand, you have the cardboard houses and so forth. Yeah, it's two blocks away. Two blocks away. And in one of these minor ravines, he found a small adobe structure occupied by an American missionary named John Hatfield, who, with his wife, was taking care of seven or eight small Mexican children whose mothers went across the bridge every day to work. And Hatfield was engaged in missionary work there. And Jose Lopez has Josue. Josue said in a phrase which I think I'll always remember, he said, it broke my heart because this man was doing something and he said I was only preaching. Yes. And he joined Hatfield and the two worked together. Hatfield went out, made trips to get donations and so forth. The time came in 1971 when Hatfield was totally discouraged. The problem seemed to be endless and insoluble. And he left for the States. He went up in the Washington, D.C. area with his family to try to earn a living. And Josue then was left with the entire effort. Now, how he managed, I don't know, but Reverend Peacock came across him in his travels. And you know, Dennis gets to a lot of places and began to publicize this effort by the time we went down the theater by the time I saw it it was really quite extensive a school with about 120 pupils from kindergarten to the sixth grade a an orphanage with 40 girls and 40 boys and room for another 40 a pinata factory plans to set up an automobile service center a repair center a church, quite impressive. Seven homes created and built for as many homeless families. And the Mexican Congress had set aside the land for this effort. Of course, that's sort of an informal rental. The Mexican government actually legally owns all religious land in the country of Mexico. Religion is officially outlawed there is a sort of a tolerance or a toleration established which is unwritten and illegal. And the government can take the land back at any time it chooses, but as long as it's doing so much good, it's unlikely to do so. Now, there's some other things I'd like to say about it, but I think I'd like to hear your opinion. Yes. Let me describe the area a little more because... Uh, the setting in itself is something. In Mexico, the rich live downtown because that's where there is likely to be both power and water. The hills, which we would call the view lots, are the undesirable areas because you have to walk a long ways downhill to get water, haul it up by a bucket. Very, very difficult. These roads are 
not even uh, bulldozed or braided. And uh, the one where the school, the church, and the clinic, and Josue's own home are located is almost uh, the kind of hill that would be best for goats to climb. We huffed and puffed going up and down a couple of times, and uh, I think it would either kill you or keep you young if one like Josue had to run up and down several times a day. The buildings, apart from those that were built for the homeless, include a very fine school building, classrooms, another building, the dormitories for the boys and girls. Now, the rooms are immaculate. The children have to take care of themselves, their clothing, their uh, the making of their beds, cleaning the rooms, everything. And they do a marvelous job of it. The boys and girls, grades one through six, are so neatly dressed. You would think they came from exceptionally fine homes. There is a graciousness a Christian radiance about them that I found very, very moving. Otto mentioned their plan to have a shop there. The preliminary work has been done for it. The pit had been dug for mechanics working under a car. They want to start a trade school. In order to train young people in a number of activities. The iron uh, bunk beds in the school were made at the Mission's uh, Ironworks uh, factory, which was downtown. The piñata factory is in the basement, and this year they will uh, manufacture 24,000 piñatas. They're, I think, only about a year in production already. But next year they hope to increase it and to increase the outlets. The small children work two hours each every day in the piñata factory and love it. The work is headed up by one of their school graduates, Jose Campion, who went north, came to the States and studied, and uh, could have stayed here, and they all told him he was crazy to go back, but he's gone back there to work in the school and to take charge of the piñata factory. Josue's uh, eldest son is a doctor in town, and he is going to head up the clinic they have, a beautiful new building, not quite finished, but it's going to be a medical and dental clinic. They have been treating people medically and dentally with almost no facilities. To get your teeth uh, 
fixed, you had to stretch out on a school bench on your back, and the dentist kneeled over you. Hardly the best modern practice, but they will have modern facilities as soon as they finish the building. Josue's second son came to this country also and studied, and his work is rubber reclamation, tires, old discarded tires. They also have a farm about 50 miles south of Juarez. They don't have water on it yet, but as soon as they do, they shall do some planting there. Josue's goal is to train up the uh, children and the adult converts to become working Christians, capable, having a trade, and thereby becoming functioning and contributing members of society and of the church. Josue's house is across the road from the uh, church, uh, the school. Now, I mentioned that normally only the downtown area has water. Many of the hills have no water, and those to which water has been piped, as is now the case with Josue and his mission compound. The water does not uh, run up the to the hill areas. They're out of water uh, sometime in June and until the rains start in the fall. The water pressure is insufficient to get it up the hill. They now have power coming up the hill. But you must realize that many of the people on the hill are too poor to be able to hook onto the water or to the power. This is the situation in which Josue works. I think any one of us would feel it to be a hopeless situation. But Josue Lopez is a man radiant with hope confident in Christ that he will conquer in his name. Well, I think there's quite a bottom to this, quite a structure. In the beginning, Josue said when he was talking about his own experience, he was all social work. And the reconstruction element comes in because his particular mission is working toward becoming self-supporting and profitable. Not This is not make work. This is not a joke. These young people, and he's surrounded with young people. We sat with the leaders of his church, and they ranged in age from about 17 to about 25. There was only one or two men in their 30s. And ordinarily, they told us that boys leave that whole area when they're about 15 and head for the States. Mm -hmm. But in this case, he's holding them until they're in their early 20s. And several who have gone, like the Campion who set up the Pinata factory, have returned. Mm -hmm. And the Pinata factory was started with $500, man and wife, and is now employing a fair number of people and is re using reclaimed, recycled 
newspapers, cardboard, wire, colored paper, imagination. It uh, distributes pinatas in Denver and several other places, distributors in Denver and several other places in Texas. And the manager, owner, is now thinking of doing his own distribution, which requires, of course, more capital because larger outlets pay over a 90-day period and not on a 10-day period. But the main thing here is that because they are earning much of their own way, there is a self-respect and a entirely different attitude than the purely pietistic please give me money argument that has doomed so many such efforts. Uh, that means a tremendous change in attitude in a country like Mexico that has been inundated with socialist and envious propaganda. And I was just thinking that I picked up this afternoon an excerpt from a column by Pat Buchanan. And Pat Buchanan is himself quoting a writer named Steltzer who says, contrary to all the liberal caterwauling about the rich United States having a moral obligation to help poor Latin America, these are not poor countries at all. Brazil has huge, rich reserves of iron ore, manganese, gems, and gold. Colombia can count among its resources not only cocaine, but also emeralds, coal, and iron ore. Argentina is rich in agricultural resources. Venezuela has billions, if not trillions, of barrels of oil in the ground, but chooses to restrict its production by remaining a member of the OPEC cartel. So too Mexico, which sits on huge reserves of oil and cooperates with OPEC by restricting output, thereby imposing an enormous tax on American consumers. And, of course, to say nothing of the dreadful plight of its own people, These are countries that are mismanaged by an elite and degraded and degenerate ruling class. Yes. And that's the reason that men like Josue Lopez and others are in the condition that they are. And the only way out of such a condition is to work Mm -hmm. and to work on your own because the system is so set up commercially down there in those countries that everyone takes the mordita, the bite, the Mm -hmm. licensing, and the bite, and the graft, and the inspections, and the rest of it, make it very difficult to do things in a sincere and open fashion. But what Jose is doing is that he is training young men and women to be workers, to use their own resources and their own imagination, to rely upon God Mm -hmm. and themselves. And it is remarkable how far he's progressed. Yes, I was very profoundly moved the whole time I was there. And I feel that one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid was when one of them said that apart from Josue himself, Dennis Peacock was the father of the movement there, and I was the grandfather. (laughs) I was very profoundly moved at that. 
the thing that uh, I can't get over was in the midst of so seemingly hopeless a situation the magnificent faith and hope those people had they're filled with joy and confidence and that was very impressive and the fact that they are turning out young people who are now doers and shakers themselves well it's a very strange country mexico most americans are content to sit next door to mexico and never take a look at it its original independence was launched by a priest father hidalgo in the war of independence against spain yet today uh, it's an anti catholic anti-religious country jose jose school is forbidden to teach religion in any form five weekdays they have to use the government textbooks no other textbooks are allowed no private schools are allowed no private textbooks are allowed on saturday is the only time that they can officially give any religious instruction as far as the law is concerned all religious services are to be confined to the four walls of an official church and they tell me that this is often violated semantically by saying well we have a community center or a social club or something of that sort throughout the country there was a rebellion in the eight in the 1930s of wide-scale rebellion religious in nature and uh, Lazaro Cardenas massacred tens of thousands of people the american press never discovered it it was right next door priests and nuns were tortured to death the new york times never saw it it was too it was beneath attention i suppose today the hierarchy of the catholic church in mexico is deeply permeated with liberation theology they have a red cardinal down there who was just recently retired i think they can retire now at 75 and yet there is Josue and the congress has voted him to land because even a backward government knows that it has to allow somebody to help the people I understand that even the Sandinistas are allowing American missionaries in so long as they're helping the people because the government itself of course is stealing everything that isn't tied down. And it's also interesting from my point of view that the buildings that Lope Josue and his people put up with their own hands climbing the wheelbarrow with the pails of wet cement and all the rest of it quite impressive uh, they simply put them up themselves they didn't need a, uh, a license to put them up the inspectors came by in a very casual fashion and we have here this paradox that a despotism like Mexico actually there's more individual freedom than there is in a free country like the United States 
when it comes to getting off to, to standing up and doing something we have to have a permit to kill a rattlesnake in California or to trim a limb off a tree in our own yard one of the things that impressed me was the variety of uh, backup things for example any day now they will run out of water but they have two cisterns so that they can take care of all their water needs until the rains begin again. Josue is exceptional in that uh, kind of practical uh, vision. He's made sure that in one way or another their needs are being taken care of. Well, of course, we would do this. Uh, there is a myth that's grown to enormous size in this country that nothing can be done unless people are told to do it. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is societies predate governments uh, and certainly this government is a Johnny-come-lately when it comes to building the United States. Somebody said to me uh, somewhere along the line that I he didn't quite understand my faith in people being able to do things on their own, and I compared it to a camera that was set up in a big square in New York, a plaza, you might call it, an open space in front of one of the big mid midtown buildings on a corner. At noon, hundreds, tens of hundreds of people crisscross in that square all moving fast, as they do in New York during lunch hour. Nobody ever bumps into anybody else. Mm -hmm. Yet there's no guide, no lines, no paths, no traffic <laughs> cop. And according to the average specialist today, it would be impossible for that many people to go through that square in conflicting directions without chaos, mm -hmm. unless some expert were sitting there in, in a cage giving red and green and amber lights. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, impressed me Thursday evening, May the 25th, by evening we were tired. It was an emotionally exhausting day because it was so powerful and moving. And then there was the evening service. And... Uh, with their singing and um, my talk and Josue's and Colonel Donor's. The service was two hours and about 46 or 7 minutes. And no one, old or young, in that congregation seemed the least bit tired or bored. And... Uh, I found it uh, exceptional because neither was I, and any meeting here that would last that long would wear me out. But there was that uh, spirit there that was very, very moving, quite well, outstanding. I think one of the reasons is that the outer world does not exist.
here in the United States the government has curled into our head and will not get out. Yes. And we get bulletins from the court of higher authorities in the form of television and radio and newspapers and magazines every other second so that we never really feel relaxed, we never really feel that we, our lives are private and our own. We really feel somehow or another as though we're in some sort of a vast national institution. Yes. But that country is not as highly developed. It may be a despotism, but it's a despotism out of sight. Yes. A few things I'd like to call attention to. Uh, Josue, who is a very gracious and kindly man, and very gentle towards his fellow pastors who are often very critical of him and have been hostile to the reconstruction work he is doing, uh, said that one of his problems is with Mexican pastors who are influenced by Schofield. Otto referred to the cardboard houses on the hillside, on the other side of the hill. Because of the high altitude, the area has extremes of heat and cold, snow and freezing weather in the winter, and very hot weather in the summer. In fact, the day we arrived, it did go over a hundred. The next day was a cool ninety-four or five. But uh, people commonly freeze to death in these cardboard houses in the winters. And Josue has a very real concern with both converting these people and helping them to learn how to work and to improve their housing. As Otto remarked when we were there, it was like being in a third world country because we were not in the part of Mexico that the tourists see, but the part they do not see. Now, an important aspect of the situation in Mexico is that in some ways, from a liberal point of view, it is the most advanced country in the Western world. Because in the last century, the leading Mexican intellectuals seized on the writings of the French revolutionary leaders, the positivists like Comte and others, and felt that the high road to an advanced civilization and to an advanced welfare state was by means of positivism by separating man entirely from religion, from Christianity in particular, and by taking a radically humanistic perspective. To this you have to add the extensive influence of various socialist writers, including Karl Marx, on these Mexican intellectuals. They captured the country, they have shaped it, and, one must say, destroyed it. But 
from a humanistic point of view, no country has more rigorously and for a longer time practiced the tenets of French revolutionary thinking with positivism added to it. So when we speak of the backward condition of people in Mexico, we should add there is where we too shall be if we continue the present course that our schools, our Washington elite, and others are charting for us. Well, that's a very interesting comment. I think it overlooked, it leaped over, you leaped over something that went on under Diaz, you remember. Yes. Uh, capitalism was being tried and Mexico was being industrialized and the English and the United States, the Americans and the French and the Germans all poured into Mexico and they poured money into Mexico. The English engineered the railroads. We developed an oil industry. Mm -hmm. uh, mining efforts were underway and Mexico became quite prosperous under Diaz. And then it was that the Marxists and the socialists, socialist revolutionary Marxists and so forth, really went to work with the politics of envy. Yes. And they mounted that revolution beginning in 1910, which ran until 1921, and ruined the country. I think, all told, I think something like five million people were killed and half of all the property in Mexico was destroyed. Yes. That's when the church was seized and they wrote the first actual Marxist constitution in the world. Now, Americans, the United States of America, has helped keep them in that situation by our philanthropies, uh, government to government, not people to people. There are two levels here. Uh, a government-to-government -government philanthropy simply funds the oppressor, and yet this is where most of the American money has been. And going back to that quote from Buchanan's columns, and I don't know who Stelzer is, but he's obviously very bright, talking about the situation of Latin America overall, which he says is hell on the people who live under the misgovernment. The best answer, says Stelzer, for Bush may be simply get out of the way. Let nature take its course. Let the Latin nations default if they wish. Let the banks take the hit. And let the people of Latin America choose peronistas or generals or populists or socialists to rule them and let them face the consequences of their decisions. It's time they grew up and stood on their own feet. For too long, we Americans have indulged the political immaturity of Latin America. They could be anti-American in their rhetoric and UN voting record, yet still get American aid. Mm -hmm. They could be socialist and still be subsidized by capitalist institutions. Now they want to default on their debt and be given new money as well. It's time they were introduced to the real world. Now, the thing about Josue is that he has none of the complexes that you expect to run into. His manner was frank and open. He was yes. an independent, mature individual. 
the young people that he had around with him were very dignified and friendly, but not overly so. Uh, you could you could feel the reality in the situation. Yes. They're taking care of themselves, and they are going to be self-supporting. They're going to be a shining light for that whole yes. area. And every I can see why the other pastors are critical, because it makes them look ridiculous. Yes. You're right in calling attention to what transpired under Dias. But you see, uh, that story you don't find in most of the surveys and histories of Mexico told with any detail or any comprehension. Because what our scholars are in sympathy with is what the intellectuals there planned. Oh, yes. The radical positivism which has, of course, triumphed and destroyed Mexico in the process. So that we have had a, a biased history and increasingly a State Department that is uh, more protective of humanism elsewhere because it is closer to that than to Christianity here and abroad. Well, of course, this is what they did in uh, El Salvador and uh, Nicaragua. They broke up the large estates in the name of uh, agricultural reapportionment or whatever because they thought it would be better uh, if you had a lot of small farms. Well, perhaps it is if you're a poet or if you're Thomas Jefferson. Thomas, Thomas Jefferson in his day, you know, looked at China as the example of what the American society should imitate. Mm -hmm. uh, all small farms. But small farming is not agriculturally efficient. And everybody in the human race is not really equipped to live on the land. Mm -hmm. uh, we have diverse talents. There are men for whom farming is a vocation and a great many more for whom it is not. If we had a situation in the rich country of Mexico and Central America, where they have, I think, Mexico has enough oil to take care of the world for another 200 years, that we're not allowed to go in to go after it, not even when it benefits them. And with all their oil wealth, they're losing money on oil because of the corruption. Well, everything is corrupt. Well, remember when I went down there, I do, uh, about eight years or so ago, and I talked to a number of industrialists. I was living then in San Diego, and the first place thing they wanted to know was where I was living, and I told them, and they immediately wanted to discuss real estate prices in San Diego because these were men who were burdened by their wealth. There is no way they could liquidate their assets and get out of the country without having to pay an enormous tribute to the government. Mm -hmm. So they were more or less held by their physical assets, their stores, their factories, their employees, and so forth, which they had begun to look at as so many chains. What they wanted to do was to be able to get out with their wealth before the inevitable collapse. And, of course, the collapse, when it did come, was only halfway. Remember the devaluation and the nationalization of the banks and so forth. Well, now, a man like Josue has been freed by his conversion from all those worries. He is not worried because he feels 
he is doing the best he can for the greatest number of people that he can he's worshiping God and he's being everything that a man should be so there is no worry in his eye mm -hmm. whereas the wealthy men that I talked to were haunted by the political situation do you remember Otto early in this decade shortly after you moved up here we spoke at a conference in the Bay Area together yeah. with Josue Lopez That's right. and General Rios Mont of yes. Guatemala yes. and Dennis and uh, the m location of the meeting had to be changed three times because the media and the left were threatening to picket it and because to break of, it up. Because of Rios Mont. Yes. yes. And, of course, General Rios Mont, who is, by the way, one of our Chalcedon readers, uh, is in his own way doing a great deal for the reconstruction of Guatemala, creating a very, very important work down there. Now, in that instance, no one in the media was concerned with, here are a couple of men from Latin America with a remarkable story to tell. Not a single reporter covered the story, or if they did, not a single editor ran the story. That's right. All they were ready to do was to cooperate with the left in letting them know where we were going to meet in order to have the meeting disrupted. Yes, but the media covers the uh, false refugees from these countries. Yes. The uh, so-called sanctuary movement has had many wonderful uh, chances before the camera. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget at that meeting the uh, marvelous surprise of hearing Josue speak. You didn't hear him. No, I didn't. Because you were speaking... Uh, at a workshop, I think. At a workshop, yes, and I was presiding in a meeting where Josue was speaking. And... Uh, it was uh, a remarkable surprise. The impassioned and totally confident uh, manner in which he spoke. Well, do you know, Rios Mont is detested by the liberals of the United States because he stopped the Marxist revolution in Guatemala. Yes. And I think it's very amusing because I didn't think that a Christian should do that. <laughs> well, it they was forgot that he was a general. And Rios Mont told me when we were having lunch that the Soviet Union told the State Department to get rid of Rios Mont, to get rid of him. And the State Department obeyed. They obeyed. They sent a destroyer down there which waited offshore and said, get out. It's interesting. I always look at individuals in a very high place with a certain sense of wonder at their lack of self-consciousness because history, like oil, brings everything to the surface. Some of these families, some of the families, some of the descendants of these men were going to have to change their names because they'll be so ashamed of being descended from such monsters. Yes, yes. 
Well, another thing that impressed me tremendously there was how everyone worked. Jose Campion, with uh, his piñata factory in the basement of the school. Well, he was very and interesting because he'd studied business management. Yes. You remember that he told <laughs> us that when he went back to Mexico, the Im Mexican immigration authorities were so astonished to see him returning from the United States that they seized his passport and held it for a year. Mm -hmm. as much as to say well if you insist on coming back we'll see to it that you have to stay well there was his wife a slender girl uh, didn't look much more than in her late teens the mother of two and pregnant working very rapidly and happily there well it was a it was a pleasant and congenial area and don't forget, a couple of blocks away, the cardboard house people with ten-year-old mothers. Yes, yes. With horrible conditions. Yes. And beyond that, we have this whole flow of refugees from the countries to the south of Mexico, from Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador and Nicaragua and so forth that are flowing up to Mexico toward the American border in greater numbers than anyone can count. When we crossed the bridge into Juarez and rode along the Rio Grande for a short distance, one of the men called my attention to the groups of young men hiding in the trees along the banks of the Rio Grande waiting for an opportunity to go across the border. After nightfall. Yes, because it was either stay and starve or go over the border and take a chance well, that you might... Uh, they don't have too much of a chance. Because to, uh, it's not too great a risk because there is a flourishing counterfeiting business going on, a false credentials, and the employers are not going to ask too many searching questions as long as they can plausibly plead ignorance of a person's actual citizenship. And these people come in, they're working below the minimum wage, and they're working at anything, and we've, be we've become a country like Europe that doesn't like stoop labor. We've got all these social workers who think that a dead-end job is a bad thing, and it's interesting to contemplate the fact that in many cases their parents had dead-end jobs and sent them to college. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, how many jobs are there with long and glowing futures? Mm -hmm. Not too many. But the, the thing that Josue and uh, Rios Mont and the others, uh, the, these are people whom... Dennis Peacock has been in touch with through the years. He's been very active in that part of the world. Well, he got a uh, hold of Rios Mont through us. He got it through Chalcedon. Yes. Well, Protestantism is doing in Central America and in Mexico what it did in the Reformation. Yes. And it's like seeing the great wheel of history come around. And you begin. I begin to... Re compare these to the workings out of an arithmetical equation. If you do certain things, you get certain results. If you have certain faith, you have certain consequences. 
and Central America is undergoing a reformation. Yes. Hosea is one of the pioneers of that movement. In one or two countries, the number of evangelicals now uh, is approaching 24, 28%. That's a lot. Yes. That's a great deal. Mm-hmm. Especially when you think that converts are, are more active than uh, cradle adherents of any faith. Yes. Uh, someone has said that the future of uh, Central America is going to be a battle between evangelicals and Marxists. Well, the Marxists will lose that one. Because they pull upon the worst elements and uh, their message is one that turns the stomach of everyone with decent instincts. Mm -hmm. Their message is there's somebody who's doing well, let's go get him. And this goes against the basic instincts of uh, Western civilization. Yes. yes. We have been, we uh, at least until recently, I started to say we've been taught to admire superiority. I don't think that's true anymore. But it's a basic instinct. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that impressed me was the hospitality there. Well, they, they worked very hard. Yeah. And, and it was quite an elaborate dinner that they put on. Uh, Josue's wife and uh, mother-in-law and uh, some of the church women uh, fed uh, 20 or more of us and it was quite a feast it was well those little children and I've forgotten who I discussed this with we have because of the tremendous terrible emphasis that's made on sex crimes, molestation, abuse, and so forth in the United States. We have 260 million people here, and the percentage of these crimes is minute, as you know, but then they're exaggerated by exposure and discussion. I remember years ago when I would get off the bus and go home, uh, when I was a young man, and I passed a house where there was a, a little girl, maybe six or five or something, and I used to wave, and she would wave and smile. And one day, as I went by, her mother saw her, and she came running out with her face full of alarm to grab that kid and take her in the house. And I thought, what are we coming to? There was none of that with the children of the orphanage. No. We stopped to smile and speak, and they blossomed the lights came on in their eyes it was a real pleasure and this is the way life is supposed to be we're not supposed to be terrified of one another we're not supposed to raise Mm -hmm. children to be terrified of all adults to portray men as monsters and so forth and so on and the idea that you could adopt one of those children for thirty dollars a month yes is a very important one i was about to mention that that's uh, $360 a year. They have room for 20 more boys and 20 more girls. This is boarding room. And these will be the future of Mexico. No question. They're the future of that area because when Josue began these efforts, 
the people in the neighborhood began to come around. His congregation was formed by the people in the neighborhood who saw what he was doing and who then joined in the effort, which is the essence of the congregation. Yes. One of the big problems with American congregations, and I say this with all my expertise as a non-minister, <laughs> is that it seems to me just looking at the congregation that they expect the minister to carry the ball. Yes. But he can't. No. The congregation has to carry the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, the people there enjoy their work. They enjoy the church. Yes, they do. It's a very pretty church, by the yes. way. With flowers where the Catholics have stations of the cross. Yes. I was very struck by that. Mm-hmm. The flowers against the whitewashed walls. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a... You remember the young men that came up to sing? Yes. Some hymns? And the man sitting next to me said... They are dressed in their Sunday best, mm-hmm. and they were very, they were very good, very proud of. It. it was really very pleasant, very yeah. pleasing. You came away with a better feeling about the human race and about the world, as you should. Yes. yes. And yet, what were we looking at? We we're looking at people who, by uh, the average American standards, would uh, call for somebody being indicted and sent to prison for just having such a thing exist for mm-hmm. people to be so poor no social workers no well if anyone listening is interested in helping uh, without cutting back on their support to us which we need we'd be happy to send on uh, whether it's 360 or a portion of that to Josue for help in bringing in homeless children into his boarding school. One of the things, by the way, Otto, that tickled me no end uh, was their uh, old-fashioned Hispanic courtliness. Very poor people, but a certain courtliness. Well, all Latin America has that. You yes. have to be very polite because almost everybody is armed. <laughs> well, if, you if, were, they, if they're not actually armed, they can get armed very quickly. <laughs> well, I like the way they pronounce your name, Escott. <laughs> well, they all do that, yes. Well, our time is almost up. Are there any... Uh, concluding remarks you'd like to make. It's the seedbed. Josue has created a seedbed which is going to have many offshoots. Yes. Those people are going to leave that particular vicinity and continue those efforts elsewhere. Yes. I should add this one thing, too, that uh, uh, Colonel Donor has also of late helped them I believe uh, by uh, raising some funds for uh, the furthering of the clinic. So uh, Colonel Donor is uh, an important part there. Mm -hmm. And Mike Bresnan, of course. Yes. Well, our time is about up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. And do remember the work of Pastor Josue Lopez Luna in your prayers.
Thank you and good night.